Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Just woke up from a little nap. Yeah. Yeah, I was... So is it uh, no- it's noon there, right? I woke up real early today because of my daughter. The, it was time for her to go to um, school, and so I woke up at 6. But you know, Dan, there's been a, there's been a change here, uh, here at the uh, Shea Roderick. Yeah? Yeah, the change is... And just this week, I have decided to have a bedtime. <gasps> For you, your yeah. own bedtime, a grown-up yeah. bedtime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I've got a new motto. Okay, hit me. Uh, at 12, uh, at mi- let's see, let me get it, let me get it right. At midnight, you're done, asleep by one. Right. Okay, that's it. So at midnight, I'm done. Whatever you're, do- whatever you're doing, done with that. Put it away. Everything goes off. All the things go off. Everything is done. Right. And then I'm asleep by one. And well, that's like this is huge for you because my understanding is that you are typically pushing the envelope at two to four a.m. Oh yeah, three four, but but. But I'm realizing, I realized the other day that it, that this like lawlessness, uh-huh. this lifelong like lawlessness where I'm just, where I refuse to have any governing rules, even, I mean, you know, I have a lot of governing rules internally, mm-hmm. but all that stuff like bedtime, I'm just like, I can't even let the. I won't even let the earth and the sun dictate to me how to be. And I'm realizing it's affecting the quality of my life now. Really? I'm walking around. I'm got three hours of sleep all the time. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not tired exactly, but I'm, yeah, I'm tired. I'm a little tired. So, and I'm just sort of like looking, I'm looking for a little bit, a little bit of structure, which I would never say, but so, at midnight, you're done. It all goes off. No lying around looking at things on the internet. It's done. Mm-hmm. And then I figure I can be asleep by one. So I've been trying it. Like a, this is like day four, but I had to be awake at six. So and I got to sleep about one thirty. Okay. So it was sort of a little bit, a little bit, not not quite, not quite eight hours of sleep. But that's a, that's a lot I, of sleep for you, right? Well, I mean, last night was four and a half hours of sleep, so that's about normal. But I bought some, I bought some blackout curtains. Excellent. I uh, what else did I do? I didn't do anything else. But I've been thinking about maybe getting a clock, like an alarm clock. Oh my so god! Not looking at my phone, but I have a clock, and I'm going to try and get up at if I'm asleep by one, and I get up by nine a.m. Except on mornings where I have to take my kid to school i think i can i think i can do that sleep eight hours from one to nine right my body will get used to it mm-hmm. and then it'll start to manufacture melatonin in the way that bodies do right you'll get tired have, at the right time i'll get tired at the right time i'll look around i'll go 
what was I ever thinking? Staying up till three in the morning. There's nothing to do at three in the morning except for BB stacking or whatever I was doing before. Right. It's just going to be like, and that means that those hours between eight and midnight, mm-hmm. I'm going to value more because it's going to be like, these are four hours that I really have to pack full of goodness. You know, one thing that occurs to me is if, as you're making this transition, yeah, is that it might be useful. And again, like I, I want to go on record with you. I don't care about the audience specifically, but with you, I'm not a doctor. Right. But I've had lots of experience trying different things to make sleep better uh, or, or less challenging. And so if while you're making this transition – from the 3 a.m. guy to the 12 slash 1 a.m. guy. Right. I I would tell you that for the short term that it would take to do this, you could you could try taking a little bit of melatonin, a very mm-hmm. low dose of it. They actually, the studies have shown that the lower the dose of melatonin, the better. Really? That, yes, that you would think, well, I need 10, I need 10 milligrams. You, They actually say a, one milligram or even a little bit less than one milligram is all that you all that you need, but you could try taking that and yeah. see if that you know take it half an hour before you want to be tired, and it, it could uh. help you for the short time you needed to help you sort of transition from the three a.m. guy to the twelve thirty one a.m. guy. Well, you know, I've got melatonin lying around here because uh, over the years, like you know, there've been like girls in and out of here oh yeah and they're who knows you know, how many they always have got this thing where they're like i'm taking this thing i'm taking that thing girls. experimenting experimenting with these other things herbals right herbal essences right so i've got a medicine cabinet full of weird stuff little depilating tweezers and right melatonins um so I don't know. I feel like what I feel like. All right. I want my, what is it? It's not your pituitary gland. It's your pineal gland. Yes. That makes your melatonin. I right. want it to just get on the stick as we used to say. Uh-huh. Did you ever say get on the stick? Not in the way you mean. Get on the stick was what, how we used to say like, like, I guess, get her done, I guess is Uh what they say in the South. Get on the stick. And I don't know whether that comes from driving a stick shift car. I imagine it. I imagine that's what it's from. Get on the stick. Get it done. Right. Get her done. Get her her done like that. I would would never say that. Uh, That's like, there are some phrases I will never say like, um, uh, what, what are some of them like? I smell what you're cooking. Right. I'll never say that. No. Um, what are some other ones? Some there's there are phrases like that that other people say or like brother from another mother? You'll never hear me say that. Right. I'm pick, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Nope, I won't say that no. either. Um uh, I just feel like those phrases are not necessary at all. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree. Uh but get on the stick, I'll say. I haven't said it in a long time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I want that uh, pineal gland to, to get on the stick and start making some melatonin on its own. Um, so 
but I'm really trying. I go, I lay down. I, I complicated it last night by, um, you know, I had, I had stored up a few blue aprons and, you know, when you, when you get a couple of blue aprons in the, <laughs> in the backlog, All right. it's real tough to get back up on the horse. So what I did is I threw a few different blue aprons into a crock pot. Oh, just really? Said, just said, fuck it. Let's go. Right. Let's see what happens. And I made this delicious new concoction. What is it? Well, like your own, like your own, you took, you took like a Frankenstein assemblage of blue aprons. Just the chicken ones. Oh, just the chicken like, ones. Yeah. I didn't throw a pork and a beef and a shrimp and a, I didn't do any of okay, that. I right. took just the chicken ones. And I figured if this tastes good with chicken and that tastes good with chicken, it'd probably taste good together. Mm-hmm. Wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. It tastes great. Yeah. But I did, I put it in the crock pot because, you know, winter has come here. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah. It's now where we have settled into our normal El Nino winter status, which right. is 55 degrees and raining. And it'll be like this now until June. And so the crock pot comes out. All the chickens go in it. But it's a crock pot, so it doesn't cook stuff fast. And so, you know, I had that, I had that uh, Sophie's choice. Do I put it on slow cook and then it's done at five in the morning? Or do I put it on fast cook, but it's not done till 1130? What did you do? So I did fast cook. Okay. But then it was done at 1130. I wanted to test it. It was delicious. So then I ate another, then I ate a bowl of it and then I ate another bowl and I had eaten, then I eaten too much pie right before, right before I went to bed, which was bad. What happens if you eat too much pie right before bed? Well, I think what happens is you divert the blood that should be going to your brain to be making really great REM sleepy dreams. Yeah. You divert that blood to your stomach to digest your uh, blue aprons. Mm Mm-hmm. And that produces, I don't know what that produces. It, it puts your dreams in your stomach or something. Right. Uh, Did you have so, bad dreams or just no dreams? No, 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 no. I don't think that I've had very many dreams in the last few years because of this uh, sleep deficit. I think most of the dreams that I would have been having um, ended up somewhere else. They ended up in somebody else's dream, dream catcher. They're right. on their way to me. Some dingaling put up a dream catcher for no goddamn good reason. They caught all my dreams. What the hell is that? Someone from Phoenix, Arizona is calling me relentlessly, and I don't, I don't know what's uh, going on. Maybe it's King Tut. <laughs> that would be Egypt. He was well. He was born in Arizona, moved to Babylonia. So it's actually he's from Arizona. Uh, <laughs> you know what else I'm thinking for you would be good. Mm. Magnesium. Do any of your girlfriends leave that behind? Magnesium. Magnesium. Why do I want magnesium? Magnesium has a, especially for people who are uh, deficient in magnesium, which, by the way, is everybody. Yeah. Um, magnesium can be very, very helpful in just general well-being, and it it will it will help you relax. In a way that uh, that that makes you 
like it it doesn't it doesn't quite have a sedative effect but it makes you it makes you want to relax and rest hmm. and the one i'm going to recommend to you is magnesium glyconate mm-hmm. and you want to take two 400 milligrams of that magnesium glyconate like an hour before you want to sleep 800 milligrams yeah and that's going to just chill me right It'll, down. It'll help you chill out, help you relax. And uh, and so I think that's that's something good you could do, even regardless of whether you decide to take the, uh, the melatonin. And there's one more thing that I'll tell you about that's sort of my secret, secret weapon. Oh, you're going to drop all the science on me right now, huh? Yeah, and it's, it's called inositol. What? I'll put these in the show notes because people are going to ask about these. But inositol is... You're just making shit up. I'm not. Um, Inositol, the best way to take it is as a powder. They sell it Mm -hmm. in a little... Like you can get in capsules, but that's just crazy expensive. You don't want to do that. You can get the powder. These are all safe. These are all natural. You can get them all at Amazon. Like there's nothing weird about them. And what's nice about the inositol is that... It, it's not like it makes you groggy or anything, but it just, it helps you sleep and it helps you sleep good. You know what I mean? Like they, like they, they give this stuff to kids. It's, they design it for kids. They're, inositol, actually, I've read a lot about it and people frequently use it. It just, it generally improves brain function, but it, it helps you relax. The people get, they give it to people who have like social anxiety and, and other kinds of issues like that as well. And just, it's calms you down, makes you feel good. And uh, makes for really good sleep, too. And uh, there's people who would like severe anxiety and OCD and other things who take large, large quantities of it. You don't need that much. You take a few teaspoons of it in water and it's sweet. It tastes like almost not quite as sweet as sugar, but it's it's like that. And you just mix mm-hmm. it with water and it tastes sweet and you just drink that. Use that mm-hmm. while you're swallowing your magnesium. See? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and your mm-hmm. melatonin so you get your you got your and i would for you you could do a mm-hmm. one milligram melatonin or you could even do a time release you know you're a I big have, you're a big guy but i still think one milligram is going to be enough for you i see that i have tiptoed into a garden that you cultivate yeah i know a lot about this unfortunately this is one of these things where i'm just tiptoeing around a cemetery and then i tiptoe <laughs> tiptoe through a little gate and then there's farmer dan with his hoe that's right i'm standing there with my hoe carefully tended little plants with little signs on them that tell you what they are yep and i'm just like whoops a daisy yeah you're like try this yeah okay well i'll i'll look in the show notes myself and try and get all these different uh, remedies yeah and they're not expensive you know you can you, you can uh you can get this stuff. I mean, a whole a pound of inositol powder, which Whoa. you can you can get a pound of it for like Whoa. twenty bucks. Easy does it? Yeah, you might need it though. You might not. You might need it. What the hell would I do with a pound of inositol powder? I, I we go through a pound in my house every you know month or so. Whoa! Can you put it in your bath? I mean, I mean it, it won't you, like, won't help you sleep, water? but why not? You can mix anything right. you want in there. Are you sure you wouldn't absorb it through your skin? No, it doesn't work that way. Oh, I see. Huh. Um, Okay, well, then, yes. But but if you want to bathe and you want to sleep good in your bath, you do the Epsom salts. 
Okay. You know about that, right, Mr. Mr. Bath? Well, my sister's all about Epsom salts. Epsom salts are magnesium, salts. but they're absorbed through your body, through your skin. Oh, okay. And that's why an Epsom salt bath is relaxing, because it's magnesium going right into you. Oh, straight in. Yep. Magnesium just going straight in. Uh, you know, you cannot, if you take testosterone, yeah. which you would, I don't know why you would want to do it, but if you did, yeah. you cannot ingest it. It just goes right out. You have to smear it on yourself as a cream. It only goes in through your skin. You can't just sit and there are all these pills that come up on your uh, Facebook page if you're a middle-aged guy. Right. They're like, take these testosterone pills and right. you will be strong and your woman will be happy. And uh, it's all baloney. Yeah. Because you got it's got to be a, it's got to be topical. Oh. Yeah. You can't just eat it. So all that stuff is just uh, it's just snake oil. It's like it's like eating I don't know what. Well, whatever whatever you do, don't get on this thing of thinking that you need to take like a ton of melatonin or anything like that. No, no, no. The thing is, I don't like medicine. I don't. I until I started taking that medicine a couple of years ago, I never would take any medicine. Right. Even when I got sick, I didn't want any medicine. I didn't want your herbal remedies. I didn't want your tinctures. I don't want anything. Well, I mean, magnesium occurs naturally. It would be in the soil if we hadn't depleted all the stuff out of our soil. Melatonin, that's technically, it's a hormone, but it's one that's already in your body and you'd only be using that for a a little while. And uh, inositol, I don't know what what that's in in nature, but there's one more thing I'm going to tell you about. Uh Uh-oh. And I think, yeah, I mean, you do melatonin for like two weeks and then you'll be all adjusted. You'll be straightened out. Uh, but the other one I'm going to tell you about is L-tryptophan. Now, you've heard about people saying, oh, you know, you eat turkey and that's why you fall asleep after Thanksgiving. That's not why. There's not enough tryptophan in – you would have to eat – I think I read – you'd have to eat 50 turkeys to get enough tryptophan to actually make you fall asleep. Something ridiculous like that. Wow. And you even, think even eating for 50 you, turkeys I don't think is you could ridiculous? Eat 50, yes. I don't think even you could eat 50 turkeys. I don't know. A hundred hard-boiled eggs, maybe, but 50 turkeys, no. Uh, if you gave me enough time, I could eat 50 turkeys. But not, not it would take you longer than you'd have for the tryptophan to go into effect to put you to sleep. But the L-tryptophan in the pill form, you take a couple of those at bedtime, and that's going to help you too. I, wanna do- I would just want to spend a day dosing you mm-hmm. with, all, with, with tryptophan, melatonin, magnesium, inositol, and uh, I feel like you'd be you'd be sleeping good. Take an Epsom salt bath. Get in your bath, mm. and then start taking the pills. And by the time that you're done with the bath, you you might just wind up sleeping in the bathtub. I do that already. Yeah, uh, I would rather eat fifty turkeys than have you come and spend a day dosing me. Dan. Oh, it'd be. I think the audience would love it too. I'll do it for them. I don't think so. I think the audience would love it if I ate fifty turkeys. <laughs> If yes. you so first of all, there's a lot less meat on a turkey. Once you once you take the meat off of it, I mean, sure, it's a platter of meat, right? But but it's not as big as a turkey, right? You get rid of a lot of it, right? Sure. If you, if you took all that meat, there's got to be a way. How do you compress and condense it down into one sort of like super dense turkey bar? Did you ever eat those when you were a kid? You'd get um, 
they would sell them. It was like a Swanson's uh, TV dinner thing, but it would be like a turkey loaf. Hmm. And yeah, it would, I remember those. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, turkey loaf. Yeah, and, and it had like the white meat and the dark meat kind of swirled together like um, uh-huh. like ice cream. Or like one of those uh, loaves of, of German uh, candy bread. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember, I remember those turkey loaves. In fact, now that you're, now that you're mentioning it, I would go get a turkey loaf right this second if they, if they were available or if I ever went to the grocery store. Yeah. And it would be like, I, it was either Swanson or Jenny O or. Yeah. And you'd cut it open and then you'd, you'd see. Jenny O. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I think I, there's some part of me that recalls Jenny O, but I don't think I've ever eaten a Jenny O thing. I assumed that that was weight loss food. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'd had a life hack this morning. What was that? Well, my kids have been complaining at me about uh, the about the um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, I think you're thinking with. of Jenny Craig. No, no, no. That, <laughs> oh, Jenny Craig. Yeah. Right. So who the hell is Jenny O? It's just a brand. <laughs> we didn't have that. We didn't have that in the north. Okay. That sounds like some southern stuff. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so this morning she was, you know, she's been complaining about the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I was like, what the heck could you, what could you say about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And then it comes out, oh, she doesn't like my wheat bread because my wheat bread, I get the like super nutty, seedy wheat bread. Oh, yeah. And she objects to it. And then I remembered, oh, right, she's a kid. Kids don't like wheat bread. She didn't know the difference until she went to school and some kid showed her a white bread sandwich and now she's like, wait a minute. She feels ripped off just like I did. Except when I went to school, it wasn't that I had a wheat bread sandwich. It's that my mom bought three-day-old bread to save money. And then some rich girl gave me a bite of her sandwich one time or she traded half a sandwich with me and she had a Wonder Bread sandwich. And not only did I fall in love with her, but I fell in love with her sandwich. Sure. But anyway, so so uh so here she is like turning her nose up at my peanut butter sandwich. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you a grilled cheese sandwich in the morning, 630 in the morning. I'm making grilled cheese sandwiches. I'm going to stick it in one of those little boxes that keep ending up at my house, little boxes from the, from the Japanese grocery store that are meant to take sushi to school. Right. I don't know how they, I don't know how they get to my house. I don't, I never buy them. They show up here, put a grilled cheese sandwich in one, stuck it in her lunch pail. We'll see how she likes that. A, a room temperature grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. I bet you she will love it. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I feel like it might be a life hack because there's nothing easier to make than a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, I should get some ham, a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. Oh, shit, Dan. I'm going to make five of see, these. You're going to be hungry by the time. Yeah. Man, the show. I feel like. I feel like grilled ham and cheese sandwiches is something that would keep. Like if you if you made a bunch of them, put them in plastic bags. It would. Yeah, you put them in the freezer. Uh, I think they'd keep for a long time. I don't think they would be good. You don't think so? No. Like a frozen? No, you're right. That no, wouldn't. It be won't. Good. They won't freeze right. No, you're. I guess you're right. Okay, let's scratch that. Um, do you have any, uh, do you have any show topics in mind? Do you have anything going on? You know, we've rescheduled our show, so this isn't our normal, not our normal day, not our normal time. 
Uh, one thing I've been that's been on my mind a lot. Um, I was just in Houston, Texas. Yep. And it, has it recovered from its big tragedy? Seems to. Seems to have recovered. Um, have you ever been to Houston? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a place you've spent probably more time than Austin. I feel like. No, no, no. I've spent a lot more time in Austin, but I have spent considerable time in Houston. Houston is kind of an amazing town. Because at the center of Houston is this delightful old city that, or delightful old town that feels like, I'm not talking about the center of downtown Houston, which feels like a very weird Blade Runner post-apocalyptic downtown, but like the close-in neighborhoods, they feel yeah. like New Orleans. I can see that. I can totally see yeah, that. Yeah, they're wonderful. And the people are wonderful, creative people. There's a lot of action in the sort of central neighborhoods in town and then you get outside of it and it's just like endless crazy american sprawl with these giant what's crazy about houston flooding is that it has some of the biggest flash flood uh ditches and and culverts yeah almost anywhere you drive around it's just like you guys are really expecting a deluge and then turns out even those things aren't enough you know, and I'll tell you the other thing about just driving around there is there is so much concrete uh-huh. in Houston. <laughs> the roads and all of the overpasses and the loops and everything. It's just so much concrete. Yeah. And it just, it's kind of blew me away when I was sitting there thinking about it. Yeah, they weren't really thinking. It's uh, so much concrete. And like there's very little vegetation anywhere. But the closer you get to downtown and everything there is under construction, but they're growing. I think they're growing faster than Austin. Oh, sure. They're one of the biggest cities in America. Yeah. The thing that's crazy about downtown Houston to me is that the the blocks are small. And so if you go to a Western city where – there was a lot of room to spread out. Um, the blocks are long. So you put high rises on a long block and there's plenty of space for it, right? The blocks are long in Austin. You got long blocks there. But in Houston, the blocks are small, tiny square little blocks. And so when you get downtown, I'm talking about downtown. Now blocks out in suburban Houston are probably a mile long. Right. But, Downtown Houston's old, and so it's got these tiny little blocks. Well, they put these giant skyscrapers in there. So when you get down in there, you really feel like a like a mouse in a mouse maze. Um, it's got a crazy vibe. And then, of course, it's it's Bible Belt, right. which means that after 10 p.m., there is zilch happening down there. It's completely abandoned. You can drive around Houston – and I've done it. Yeah. Where you just ignore all the traffic lights and you just are spinning brodies in the middle of the intersections and there's nothing. There's no there's no traffic, there's no cops. You can do whatever you want. Nice. Downtown Denver used to be like that. I I went through Denver one time in the middle of the night in 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 a borrowed, let's call it a borrowed Jeep. And we were we were seriously like brodying just spinning donuts that's what you call it you don't call it you call it brodying 
I just called it donuts so that people that were from another part of the country would understand what I was talking about. But we don't say donuts. No, we say brodies. Brodies. I never heard that. You pull a brody or you spin a brody is a uh, is where you yeah basically you would call it donuts or is there another term for it like a regional term? Mm, I've only heard I've only heard donuts. I bet you it's some there's some kind of Rhode Island or or Delaware special name for it that only people in Delaware say. Right. Delaware is one of those states where nobody knows what's going on in Delaware, but somewhere deep in Delaware, there's like a very specific Delaware culture. And um, they're up to no good there. You can just tell when you go through Delaware, they're definitely up to no good in that state. I don't know if you've ever been to Delaware. I have never been to Delaware, but I have relatives who now have left Philadelphia to live in Delaware. And I don't, I don't know what to say really. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense to me. I guess the thing about Delaware is that most people only ever go to Wilmington, which is, um, the capital. It's way up in the North of it. And it's basically a Philadelphia suburb, right? Except it's like, it's really bad in Wilmington. It's it's like Philly. I mean, there's a lot of bad in Philadelphia, and it just gets worse in Wilmington. But then there's all this like there's all this coastline. Delaware is like mostly coast, and I have no idea what's going down down there. And I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody has the first idea what's happening <laughs> down that coast of Delaware. <laughs> Probably not because it's too far away. Like it's too far away to be, I guess it's out there past like Annapolis or something. It's just, it's on this weird peninsula and why would you go there? It's not on the way to anything. I just feel like there's some kind of swamp Yankees out there that are, that are up to some weird stuff, some kind of bayou life, except it's coastal like, like, uh, East coast. Right. So I don't right. know. I'm, you know what? I'm going to spend a little time. I have a good friend who just moved back to Iowa and she's living in a little town in central Iowa where the Maharishi <laughs> built a university. <laughs> really? So the Maharishi was just, you know, nobody knows what the Maharishi's up to. No, right? no one does. The Maharishi's just doing his thing and you can't, you can't just say, oh, Maharishi, there's nothing in Iowa for you because Maharishi's going to find some shit to do in Iowa. Right. right? So he's got a, uh, he's got a university there in Iowa and she moved there because that's where she grew up. Right. And um, so I'm looking at this map trying to figure out, because I've spent a lot of time in Iowa. But I had never been to Fairfield, Iowa. And I'm looking at the map and I'm like, oh, there's a reason I've never been to Fairfield, Iowa. Because there is no reason. Oh, really? Fairfield, Iowa. None. Unless you're, unless you're chasing the Maharishi. <laughs> but as I'm looking <laughs> at it, you know, like a lot of these states, a lot of these American states, um, we think of them as travelers, right? As like long distance travelers. 
we think of them always from an east-west perspective because you're going you're always going from California to uh, Chicago or you're always you're always crossing the US mm-hmm. east west you very very seldom go from Calgary to Louisiana that's just right. not that's just not the way most traffic goes so you get all these places like how many times have I been across Iowa like 400 but how many times have I gone north south across Iowa not very many, mm. you know, so you, you leave Iowa city, you go through Cedar Rapids on your way up to Minneapolis. That's a route that you'll take. Right. But if you went, if you went South from Iowa city, mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing there until, I mean, I guess you'd go to St. Louis, but if you went straight down, if you went straight down from Fairfield, Iowa, mm-hmm. you could drive forever and, You'd go through Columbia, Missouri, which is like college town. Keep driving. Keep driving, bro, because there's nothing. You're going to see nothing. You're going to drive all the way across Missouri, Arkansas. Eventually, you'll get to New Orleans. But so I'm looking at this map, and I'm like, that right there is a road trip to go to leave Minneapolis and drive straight down to New Orleans you could do it and not go through a town that have more than 10,000 people. And that's what Harley people are doing. I bet on their, on their long drives. Are you still going to be doing that drive? What that Harley drive? Yeah. What Harley drive? Didn't you say that you were going to be doing a cross country motorcycle trip? Oh no. That cross country motorcycle trip was not cross. It wasn't across this country. It was from Seattle to, Alaska. Mm. And uh, I've always wanted to drive up the Hall Road, which is the road that when I was a kid, you couldn't drive. It was closed. It was a private road that went from Fairbanks to Barrow. And it's the it's a super duper long. It's like a three day drive. But there was no. I mean, there's no other way to get to Barrow except by airplane. And it was just a pipeline road. And my mom, because she was pretty high ranking at the at Alaska Pipeline, she flew the Hall Road in a helicopter multiple times as part of going around, uh, going around hearing everybody's all the engineers. She would go up there and hear their complaints. Right. Um. So she had all these wonderful stories about about the Hall Road via helicopter. Mm. But I wanted to drive it. And so these friends or this friend of mine, Ben, was like, I got you a motorcycle. We're going to drive up to Alaska. And I was like, oh, we should definitely drive the Hall Road. What a great off-road – because they're not Harleys. They're like KTMs. They're they're pretty butch like enduro bikes. Let's drive the Hall Road, I said. And Ben is a very experienced motorcyclist. Mm-hmm like lifelong gearhead right. motorcycle riding guy. And I have a couple of friends like this. My friend Andrew is like a, he's a flat track dirt bike racer. But so Ben expresses some um, immediate reservation. He's, 
you know, he's not, not the most cautious guy. He's usually like, sure. But in this case, he's like, hmm, the hall road, you say. Not so sure that's a good plan. And I was like, don't worry about it. Let's do it. You know, like I've got Alaska magic. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you should look into that. And so I start reading about driving a motorcycle on the hall road. And it's just one story after another about guys getting airlifted out of there, like experienced motorcycle riders just just getting destroyed by this death road. And little by little, I read more and more, and I was like, hmm, I am not a good enough motorcycle rider. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a big, a big commitment. It's not the right word, but. Oh yeah. It's a big undertaking, big undertaking. Yeah. There was, there was some website where the guy was like, you have to be prepared for there to be 900 yards at some point on your trip. There's going to be like whatever, 700 yards, uh, where you are just completely out of control of the motorcycle. Uh, no, and if you, no, 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 no. If you are a good lifelong motorcycle rider, you will know to stand up on your pegs and give it the gas and just, you know, fishtailing, going bananas. You're going to make it through that however many hundreds of yards where you have zero control over what's happening. But if you are not a good motorcycle rider, you're going to end up ass over tea kettle and you're going to be 800 miles from the nearest gas station, let alone hospital. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I've been on an out of control motorcycle and I didn't like it at all. I would not want to, I would not want to crash a motorcycle, particularly a borrowed one. So anyway, then I came back to Ben a little chagrined and was like, ah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I, it's, it, it burns me a little bit to not drive the hall road on a motorcycle. Cause I always, once the hardest version of something is presented, I always want to do it. Once the hardest version of a thing is, is laid out there, I would consider myself a failure for not succeeding at the hardest thing. Right. But he kind of redirected a little bit and he was like, you know what, the, where the roads are pretty good is up in northern BC and Yukon territories and up there in Nunavik. Uh, and so I don't think there are actually roads to Nunavik. But, uh, and that means I think that we're going to just slightly modify our trip and go uh, maybe to Canada. Uh We'll see. Still, that's a pretty good trip. And then, yeah, I think it would be Northwest Territories. I don't think you could get to. I always say Nunavik, but I think it's Nunavut. 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 Yeah, it used to be that there wasn't. It was um, all that north of Canada, that crazy north of Canada was. I guess it was just part of Manitoba or something. I don't huh. Nunavut is a new Canadian territory that encompasses all of the crazy North of Hudson Bay, um, Arctic basically. There aren't roads up. You can't get there by road. It's like Northern Alaska. You can't, you can't drive there. Right. And at some point along the way, they 
they said, this is really, this makes no sense to call this Manitoba because it's a universe apart. And so they split it off, called it a new thing. But I'm not used to it. You know what I mean? It's like if you get, if you, if you get raised up calling something Rhodesia and then it becomes Zimbabwe, you're going to have a hard time remembering. Uh, it's hard to switch. Yeah. Fortunately, like that switch was made at a time when I could figure it out. But my mom still is like, where's, where's Rhodesia again? I'm like, it doesn't exist anymore. Gone. A lot of those are gone. We would like to say thank you very much to our sponsor at Squarespace. Here's some things you can do with Squarespace in case you don't know. You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can make a blog. You can sell products and services of all kinds. You can promote your physical or online business. You could use it to announce an event like a special project or your wedding, your kid's graduation from college, you name it. You could do it with Squarespace. They've got beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They've got powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, physical stuff, electronic stuff. They have the ability to customize the look, the feel of everything, the website itself, settings, products, and more with just a couple clicks, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. They even have a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions. You don't even have to have a website. You just want to get a domain. Try it on Squarespace. They make the process so easy. They've got built-in analytics, built-in SEO, free, free and secure hosting. You never have to worry about upgrades. You never have to worry about security. They do all of that for you. And they do it with 24-7 award-winning customer support. It's a great service and a great company. I know them and I use Squarespace myself. So why don't you go check them out? Just visit squarespace.com. There's a free trial there. It couldn't be easier to get started. It'll take you about five minutes to get started. And you'll have a website by the end of that time. It's kind of amazing. And if you use the offer code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK, you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So again, that's squarespace.com. Promo code ROADWORK for 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Roadwork. Do you put anything uh do you put anything in your in your in your hair to keep it under control? Uh I do, uh well for a long time I bought um those pomades. Yeah. Pomades that pomades, are in yeah. the that are in the black hair section of the drugstore. Okay. You know, there's like a shelf uh of just like uh black people products. Uh-huh. Like um, Jerry Curl and Curl activators and different stuff that are all kind of on their own little section of one aisle. And I always found that those were – there were some pomades there that were like inexpensive and just as good as everything else. Mm -hmm. And I liked the the cans. They were in these tubs and I just liked the artwork on them. It's kind of like that horse, uh, that horse shampoo, the mane and tail, which is this giant bottle of shampoo that just has a cool, it was, it's like bag balm. Yeah. Have I think I know what you're talking balm? about. No, but I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Bag balm was this stuff that was developed to, um, 
to like make cow udders better. And then girls started using it on their boobs, <laughs> uh, make them, you know, soft like a cow udder. Sure. And then it's like, Oh, bag bomb works on all kinds of things. Anyway. So I use that kind of pomade. It's just basically like wax and oil. But then I went and got my hair cut by my fancy haircut friend because I'd let my hair go crazy and, you know, I cut my own hair, but every once in a while you have to go to a professional. And then afterwards, she kind of upsold me on some fancy hair stuff because I think it's one of those things where they, it's part of how they make their living. They sell you some stuff that they also take a commission on. And it's fine. It's a little dabble do you stuff. Oh, right. When I was, a, when I was in high school, I used... I didn't ever use Brill Cream because I thought that Brill Cream was was a little bit like trucker. Right. Brill Cream was what you did if you wore a if you wore a DA, which is short for duck's ass. <laughs> really? The, yeah, it's the kind of pompadour that like old men, old men who drive trucks do that like up up sweep and it makes the makes the back of their hair look like a duck's ass. So back in the old days, back when, back when people wore Levi's with their, with cuffs and right. it's called a duck's ass or a DA, but I didn't want to be, I wasn't like a trucker guy. Um, so I used Vitalis, which I considered to be a, a, a grade above and Vitalis was just, I don't know. I just feel like it was alcohol and oil mixed together. Right. But I mean, Vitalis was, that was the for lack of a better term, the hair, hairstyle for men in the greaser time period, right? Like in the fifties. Yeah. But, but I feel, and I feel like Brill cream was too. Right. But Brill cream just seems like hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> it's very, Whereas, th- isn't that what the guys in the beginning of raising Arizona after they break out of the prison, isn't yeah. that what they're putting in their hair? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And those guys have ducks ass haircuts. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> They're all covered with mud, but they're like styling their hair. Right. Vitalis is also some old man stuff, but I don't know where in high school at some point when everybody was wearing gel in their hair that I, I was in high school when gel first arrived. Me too. And if you can look at, you know, you look at those hairstyles from the eighties, that's all gel. It's making it happen. Stiff like glue. Right. You put that in your hair and as long as you didn't touch your hair, it looked perfect all day and into the night. It was just like like egg whites. But if you, if someone touched it, it would crack, and then the style would be ruined. So you could really mess with someone if they if the gel had dried, which usually by the time you'd be in first period, the gel would have dried. If, if someone took their hand and like whacked it the other way over your hair, that's done. You're done all yeah, day. You yeah, can't right. fix that. Well, you can go wet it and try again, but it's never going to be the same. No. But I was, you know, I was always contrary. And so I started using Vitalis and it's not like I ever looked good. My hair always looked stupid, but, but when I needed it, right, when it was like junior prom, I had Vitalis and I continued to have that same bottle of Vitalis, which had a price tag on it from Long's Drugs. It said like $1.98. I had that Vitalis bottle until really recently and I'm not sure whether maybe it isn't still in my closet somewhere. Or like in my uh, in my uh, towel closet. What 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 is that called? Your uh, linen my, linen closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wh- wherever I keep the 
wherever I keep the uh, melatonin pills too. Right, sure. And like the you know the ace bandages for stuff when when I, things I go wrong. Have, yeah, I might even have a hot water bottle in there. So just to curl uh, up with at night. Uh, hot water bottle. What did I used to? I never really used one, but my mom would put one on me sometimes when what something. I would I get when I have still have memories of being very young, three four years old, waking up with an earache. And they'd put a hot, they'd give me a hot water bottle. I told oh. you about the, the medicine they used to give me, right? I've told you this story. Have I not told you? Was it uh, like some kind of Ipecac? Okay. So it, I would wake up and I would have, you know, I had earaches for a, a couple of years when I was very little. And they would give me some awful tasting medicine. And the medicine would knock me out and I'd go right back to sleep. You know, wake because you're waking up at one in the two in the morning with your ear aching, and then yeah. your parents are like, "Oh, here, you know, drink this and go back to sleep." And so I remember being a, a young adult, uh, and I had for the first time was like drinking whiskey, trying whiskey out. And I remember talking to my mom, and I said, "Oh, you know, I, I tried whiskey for the first time." And she's like, "Oh, yeah." I said, "You know what? It reminds me of." And she said, "What?" I said, "It reminds me of that medicine you used to give me." When I was three years old and I used to wake up with an earache and she said, uh, Oh, is that really reminds you of that a lot? And I said, yeah, I, I said, that stuff must've had a really high alcohol content. She's like, Oh, it did. I said, yeah. She said it was whiskey. <laughs> and I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, what, what kind of parent gives their three year old a shot of whiskey at night and sends them back to bed with a hot water bottle. And she said, well, she said, when, uh, when w- at one point you had an earache and we had run out of the earache medicine, so we called the doctor and the doctor said, do you have any whiskey? And they did. And he said, well, you can just give him a shot of whiskey. It's about the same thing as what we've been giving you in the, cough, uh, in the earache medicine anyway. I like that. So that, that I had like my some, first whiskey shot at about age three. That's some pioneer science I know. right there. And the doctor said to do it. Can you imagine... If a doctor in 2017 said, yeah, just give your kid a shot of whiskey if their ear hurts. I bet you there are still doctors out there that do that. <laughs> in, in our country? <laughs> I bet you there are. You know, You're probably I, right. I went back to see the doctor. I, I was in between doctors for a long time. I didn't have insurance for a while. I got some insurance. I went back to see the doctor and, and it was like, who do you want to go see? It, it's so hard to find a doctor. And uh, for a long time, I was like, I want to see some old guy, right? Like I'm an old guy. I want to see an older guy, Mm -hmm. some doctor that's still got one of those little round flippy mirrors on top of his head. Yeah. Wears a white coat and, and has a stethoscope around his neck. But then I thought back and I remember going to that doctor a few years ago who was a lady doctor who told me that I needed to go see a head shrinker because she thought that I was bipolar. And she was this no-nonsense doctor who went to NYU. And I said, you know, I liked her. I liked the way she talked to me. She uh, she was like pretty matter-of-fact. So I said, even though I want an old guy with a mirror, I'm going to go back and see uh, <laughs> this lady doctor because she's like she gives me the kind of doctrine that I liked. I mean, I only saw her one time, but right. but I liked the way. So I went to see her the other day. And I said, you know, why I came back here is because you told me that you told me this and you told me that. And she said, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> I was like, no, 
that's I'm here because you said these things and they resonated and here they are. And she was like, mm, no, I would never say that. And I was like, yeah, you did. You basically told me to take a shot of whiskey when I had an earache. And she was like, all right, whatever you want, whatever you want, really? however you want this story to go. <laughs> but I liked the way she was, she was telling me that what I was saying was bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, doctor. All right, Dr. Basilica, which is her name, Dr. Basilica. Like Basilisk. Yeah, well, well sure. Basilica, yeah. Um, I said, uh, right, all right, you're my doctor now. So I guess you can call bullshit on me all the time, mm -hmm. even when you're the one that's bullshit. Because I know you said these things, because I wouldn't come back here if you hadn't. And she was like, hmm. I don't know. Maybe you mix me up with some other doctor. Anyway, it's good to have a relationship with your doctor. No, very good. And I can't imagine that I would have anything other than a contentious relationship with my doctor, particularly since half the time when she tells me things, I'm like, ah, you doctors. Are you older or younger than your doctor? I think that she and I are probably the, about the same age. My, my psychiatrist and I are very much the same age. Isn't that, it weird, though, to be at the point, and maybe you're a couple of years ahead of me at this, but when now a lot of the people that I had always thought, oh, they're, you know, that's a doctor or whatever, and they're, they're so much older and they're like wise and they've had years of experience. And that's not to take away the fact that if you've been a doctor for 10 or 15 years, that you'd know a heck of a lot about doctoring, you would assume. But the fact that like now I'll go to a doctor or a dentist or a or something like that. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm like a bunch older than you. Like I went to, oh, yeah. when I was at this meeting in Houston, we were meeting with uh, one of the, the agencies that sells, they like do podcast ads and they work with the sponsors and they bring us the ads. And we had a meeting, I guess there was eight, eight, 10, 12 people in there. And it occurred to me after the meeting had began, I was looking around, I'm like, most of these people are in there early. Like the, the the most senior person was probably about 25. And I was like, gosh, you know, like that's, that's normal. Like there was not that long ago, everybody was older than me. And now I'm, I was like the old guy in the room. Sure. Look at you, the old guy. That's yeah, weird, you know? And, 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 yeah, but the receptionist, she was like 60 years old. But other yeah. than her and the guy running the company, like we were the only people over there, probably over 28. Uh huh. It's, it's weird. It's just weird. It's like a, all it just hit me all of a sudden. I was like, huh? So that happened. Did you, um, did you succeed in your business? Yeah. As much as, as much as I had hoped to. Yeah, sure. That's good. That's good. Why not? Uh, I recorded a music track the other day. Excellent. And, um, you know, the long winters drummer, Nabil Ayers lives in New York city and, uh, runs a record label now. So you can't just get him out here. I know a lot of drummers in town, uh, a lot of great drummers, but they're all total pains in the ass. And so, uh, we recorded this track with a, with a young drummer who's also a guitar player and a singer. Mm. He fronts the band Sloucher mm. and Sloucher is a Seattle band that is just great. They're just they're just great. They made a really cool album and they're a very good band. But, uh, so the, the singer of Sloucher, Jay came in to play drums on a track we were doing. 
and he was really good at the drums and he was fun to have around and he was creative. And when we were making the track, I was like, why don't you play the guitar on this part? And he did and played the guitar well and, you know, just fun to have in the room. And at some point I was like, how old are you, Jay? He was 25. Mm. I was like, 25? Yeah. 25. Well, when I was 25, Jay, you were one. (laughs) So imagine where you are right now and imagine a one-year-old. Well, that's you. That's right. The one-year-old is you. Right. And, but he was 25 and he could hang. He wasn't a, he wasn't a nerd. He wasn't that annoying. He didn't like, I don't know, didn't millennium me at all. He was just like there sitting on the couch like any other musician, rocking out, doing a good job. So, and when I think about myself at 25, I would have been useless in that situation. I would have sat on the couch and just made everybody uncomfortable. So it takes all kinds. I guess when you're older and you meet 25-year-olds in business or in the, in the world, by definition, they are the competent and good ones because they have made it to a point where they're meeting you. Right. And the dummies, of which I was one, you're not meeting. The dummies, you're not meeting. When you, when you see a, a dumb 25-year-old, you're just looking at them as they're going by on the sidewalk or something, mm-hmm. and you're like, look at that dummy. But the talented ones are already up there with the, already up there with the guys in their forties, going, "All right, what are we doing?" You know, they got some hustle. They're smart. They got themselves together, patched together already. I wasn't even, I wasn't even visibly a human being until I was about thirty. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally know exactly what you mean. Yeah, prior to that, it was just like who threw that pile of old seafood into a. <laughs> into a set of clothes and <laughs> cast a dirty spell on it so that it could walk around. Right. I know exactly so, what you mean though. I mean, there is, there is that, like I'm looking at these people in this room and they're, you know, they're fairly serious about what they're talking about and they, they seem to know some things and thinking back to when I was 25, it was just a mess. Yeah. This is a mess. Yeah. It's not fair. Do you think it's people are different or do you think we were just messed up? No, no. I think there are so many messed up 25 year olds right now in the world. They're just, you know, they, they pave the, they pave the earth a mile thick. Mm. Dumbass 25 year olds. I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's common. I I was going to say it's, it's as common as anything, but I don't think that's true. I think most people are probably pretty competent. I mean, 25 used to be full grown person and there are still 25 year olds with, with kids in elementary school. But, uh, you know, I guess the only, the only thing I wish somebody had told me when I was 25 was look, you're, you're a tragic case right now, but this isn't the end. Just because you're a dumbass now doesn't mean you won't figure it out along the way and then it'll be fine. Like everybody gets there by their own path. But when you're 25, you're looking around and you're like, well, there's 
successful 25-year-olds, why am I not one? Like the guy that started Snapchat is only 25. He's a billionaire, but he's, you know, I think he's probably a jerk. I think his dad's a jerk, and I think he's probably a jerk. But, you know, he doesn't look like a jerk because he's got four people making sure he doesn't look like a jerk. Mm -hmm. But enough of the people that, that work for him look like jerks and nobody's making sure that they don't, that it's sort of like, oh, you're probably not. In. I mean, I don't, can't even tell about uh, Jesse Eisenberg or whoever it is that runs Facebook. He seems like maybe, maybe he's, maybe there's just so little going on that isn't computers in him that he doesn't know how to be a jerk. Mm -hmm. But he's certainly very successful. And if I'd been 25 when that guy was 25, I would have felt awful. I mean, the only person I had to compare myself was Kurt Cobain. Right. And even though he was way more successful than I was, he was like on his way to cratering. And so when he cratered, it made us all sad, but it didn't make you think like, I wish I'd, I wish that I'd committed suicide by that age. <laughs> but like nowadays where, people aren't even trying to be rock stars anymore. They're trying to develop a stupid app and be rich. Right. Oh, how frustrating. Those days, be. those days though are pretty much over. I don't think, I don't think that's so easy anymore. Not like it was I ever easy, so. but I, I think that's done. I hope it's done. It's like, it was a gross time in human history. Yeah. It produced so much more grossness than it produced good stuff. And now, I don't know. You know, I've been I've been very happy and very successful pulling pulling way 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 back from everything that the internet is supposedly providing us. I mean, I still go look stuff up. Yeah. And obviously, I do podcasts and those are available through internet technology. But all of that social media that that played such a large role for me in the last 10 years just taking a huge step back from it and every inch of that big step has improved the quality of my life. I hear you. Really, really has. It's just like, oh yeah, I go at night, I go on the thing and I look at Facebook and I look at Twitter and I look at Instagram and then I shut that shit down because right. looking at it more than once a day is, it just puts you in a death spiral. I totally agree. I think there's something about social media, especially Twitter, Facebook, that, you know, and people do this with email, I think. There's a lot of people who will just have their email app running all day while they're working on their computer. It's just running all day. New email comes in, switch over to it, look at it, you know, reply, whatever. Yep. Uh, but something about social media, it, it makes you feel like you're going to miss out. You're going to miss everything. And it doesn't seem that long ago to me when like the way that you got your news was at six o'clock and you like turned the TV on and you watched the news, you watched a thing called the news. And then when it was done, the TV went off half the time or that in the morning you go get your coffee and there'd be a newspaper and you'd read that. And that was, those were your opportunities to hear about what was going on in the world. And you wouldn't know, people didn't know what had happened until later and you know there's people that say oh isn't that so much better don't you like you find out immediately now you find out immediately when something happens and i would say that's really good if if there's some kind of 
if it's going to have a dramatic effect on your life, like, you know, you want to know if there's a tornado coming your way, for example. Sure. Tidal wave. Tidal wave is going to strike. Give me the tidal wave alarm. Right. But, you know, like if, if something happens in the world, it's nice to know about it. But hearing about it exactly when it happens versus at 6 p.m., if it's not that tornado coming down, does it does it really matter? You know, does it really make much of a difference? And well, I'm not sure that it is it even does. nice to hear about it. Like when I when I first got off Twitter and wasn't looking at it at all, not mm-hmm. even at night, mm-hmm. I went from because I think in the last year of Twitter that I really enjoyed, which was the year before the most recent election, I had come to to feel like Twitter was a news channel. And I was really engaging with not the news, but this, this, um, like hive mind examination of the news. So before other people had even heard of the news, I'd already read 30 hot takes on the news. Right. And those hot takes were generally good and not hectoring, lectury, shrill, you know, they were like, Oh, check this out. This is what, you know, this is what happened. And this is what I think. Right. I really liked it. And, and, uh, it was useful, but then the last election ruined everything. Yeah. And I realized like, Oh, if there's a mass shooting in Las Vegas, for instance, why do I need to know about that? Really at all? other than the shared experience of Americans living through a tragedy together. But like, there's nothing about that story that helps me prepare to be better, uh, situated in case there's a mass shooting around me knowing about it. Doesn't right. Right. In other words, finding out that this happened five States away from you, it, it's not, it's not like you need to now take action to prepare, prevent it from happening to you. Is that what you're saying? Except for the general action that I have always taken and always pursued, which is at every opportunity to say two things. I am a gun owner. Right. And I believe that guns should be regulated. Like those two things are not inconsistent with one another. And I think gun ownership should have as much regulation on it as motorcycle ownership, Mm -hmm. which is not that onerous right like to be able to own a gun in the united states should have some accountability um you can't just get on a motorcycle and drive it across people's lawns you have to have a license you have to have insurance you have to pass a test and nobody's got a problem with that except for crazy crazy libertarians that think that there shouldn't be any regulation at all why should I have to have a license to drive a motorcycle when God gave me this motorcycle? So there should be, I think, and I'm speaking as someone who thinks guns are cool and I own them, but there should be a license. Probably you should have to have insurance training and you should have to go to take a class and, and take a test. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's too much to ask. No, no, it's like basic. And anybody in this country that thinks that that is an unreasonable amount of regulation on guns is just not thinking properly about it. Like, believe me, 
your well-regulated militia is going to be able to withstand taking a test about guns and mm-hmm. probably having insurance. And, you know, they're afraid that the government's going to know they have guns. Well, and they're going to know how many guns. So when the jackbooted FBI agents come, they're going to walk through their house and take all their secret guns. The thing is, if you're a dingling that thinks that, everybody already knows you have guns. The government already knows because you're a fucking asshole out there already. You're an asshole in the world. The assumption is you have guns. People wouldn't know that I had guns because look at me, I'm a hippie. I'm a peaceful hippie, except that I tell people I have guns, not because I think they're all squired away. If you break into my house, I'm not going to shoot you. Don't worry. I have an umbrella stand full of swords that you're going to have to get past (laughs) a long time before I ever go open my gun safe and take it out. I'll have chopped you into little sausage pieces, except for that time when a guy came into my house, stole all my stuff, and I didn't even wake up. But other than that, I'll get you with a sword. Anyway, so, you know, the learning about the Las Vegas shooter and the fact that he had these bump stocks and that he stood up in that hotel apparently for no reason at all that anyone can discern and shot 550 people. How does that help me? How does that help any of us to know? It, uh, and everybody's hot take on it doesn't matter. And the fact that it's in the news over and over and over again, like I was as addicted as anybody. I went and Googled, Vegas shooter every hour for probably a week because I wanted to hear them say, oh, we found his manifesto Mm -hmm. or I wanted to hear them say, oh, he had an accomplice or, or something, you know, I wanted them to find some videotape where he was like, look at me, mom. And when they didn't, it was kind of like that plane that just flew forever into the Indian ocean and nobody ever knew what happened to it. Right. And for, for a week we were, I think everybody was Googling what happened to that fucking plane. And that was legitimately spooky. You know what happened to that plane? Right. But does it help? Does it make you sleep better at night? Does it make you a better parent? Does it make you, I mean, even standing around the water cooler, I think it's better a better use of your time and brain to sit around the water cooler talking about the last episode of Will and Grace you saw than it is to to have the Las Vegas shooter be the thing that you're talking about. Let alone the war in Syria or what Trump's going to do about North Dakota or uh, North Korea. What is he going to do about North Dakota is also a valid question. But I don't I don't know, like I'm already not going to vote for Trump again. I just hope he doesn't bomb North Korea. Or maybe it's one of those like totally weird things where Trump bombs North Korea and problem solved. And all of the North Koreans peacefully hmm. uh, become South Koreans. Yeah, right. And it's like. You know, there's a difficult 10-year period of assimilation like there was with East Germany. And then it becomes, then they start making Kias up there. And and everybody's like, Trump's, turns out Trump was a genius. But either way, I don't have any, I don't have any authority. None of us do. We already blew it. 
we, whatever authority we had, we already squandered. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced by the news angle either because not knowing the news has improved my quality of life too. And big things like Harvey Weinstein, where it is important to know about it, mm-hmm. and you do have to soak it up and read a certain number of hot takes. Not every hot take. But like I was at a doctor's office yesterday and there was a Time magazine there. And I opened it up and I read all the articles on Harvey Weinstein. Now, Time is not where I would go for like hard-hitting analysis. Right. But there were there were three or four articles in Time and they absolutely covered the pretty much the breadth of what we were talking about around Harvey Weinstein right. and left some you know left some kernels there to to chew on and I thought that they I thought it was good reporting m- measured you know but right. with, the, with just the right amount of kind of um I mean the articles were all written by women so it had the right amount of like the tone was correct and uh and that found its way to me that time magazine found its way and I and I knew that I had a responsibility to to acquire the the sphere of knowledge around that event or around not that event around that 40 years of events right and get the get get digesting it but you're saying but, that there there is nothing that you couldn't have gotten from the reading those articles in a magazine that you got from reading twitter or facebook or the well what i'm saying is that you know a week later i read a synop basically a synopsis in a news digest and that was really all any of us need if I'd been on Twitter, I would have spent that entire five days reading 8,000 hot takes, 7,500 of which were written by people that I don't know right. or admire right. who were you know, in my timeline because they were retweeted by somebody that I follow for some reason I don't remember what. And it would, I would have just been like a week-long cascade of people – recapitulating outrage right where it's like this is outrageous and i also have outrage and like any thoughtful person knows that this experience that people had at the hand of harvey weinstein is uh if not universal then widespread among women, not just in show business, but like, you know, where we are, uh, this is very visible because Angelina Jolie is a part of the conversation, but like how many oil company executives treat their female employees worse than this? How many politicians do? I mean, the answer is a lot of them, but the people that work as 
assistance to oil company executives or politicians don't right, have right. the don't even have the ability to get it on the front pages like Angelina Jolie. And it took 40 years for even for like Hollywood stars to be listened to. But what I don't need is to have 700 people on Twitter say that in their own words with their own brittle, like, notion of themselves as pundits, social pundits. Like they're, you know, punditry is just like, um, just like graphic art is a thing that everybody thinks they are good at, but being a good graphic artist is really a, really a, it's a talent and Mm -hmm. it's a a set of trained, it's, it's something that it's like any great thing You have to be good at it and also practice it. And punditry is the same, but somehow now we all think that we're, we're, we are, our, our first thought about things belong on the editorial page. Right. Everybody does. Yeah. And I just can't, I just can't bear it anymore. It used to be, I guess that, that most people weren't on Twitter. Most people, all the many, many most people were, just uh, in their own little worlds, but now they're everywhere and, and, um, I don't want to listen to them. I don't want to listen to most people. Right. I never did. And I don't care what their political affiliation is, whether they're, you know, whether they agree with me or not. I just don't want to, I don't want to hear their, like their version. Right. Cause their version is either obvious or, I can get a better version of it somewhere else. I can get a better version of it from somebody that knows what they're talking about and knows how to talk. I don't know. I had this, I had this really tough moment the other day because when I was running for city council a couple of years ago, my, my primary opponent was the sitting president of the city council who was a, a, the oldest guy on the council and he was a former police officer and he was, you know, a pretty respected guy in the city, except he was not sufficiently liberal for Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course any other city council in any other city in the country, he would be the furthest left guy anybody <laughs> heard of. Right. But here in Seattle, he was the stand in for, commercial development and kowtowing to the downtown business interests who most of them are also incredibly liberal, Mm -hmm. but not liberal enough. And I was running to the left of him, but then this other guy whose name is John Grant ran to the left of us both because he was a longtime housing advocate and housing was the big issue in that election as it kind of still is. And although John Grant had no plan for any other aspect of the city, he had no understanding of any other system, citywide system. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had really good bona fides on housing and he was a relentless advocate. And when we would go to these political events, John Grant 
would give this kind of stump speech, which is how you how you play politics. You get your speech and you give it over and over. You you figure out what your party line is and then you stick to it. And I got up at every event and just extemporized some speech based on what I was thinking about at the moment. And it was bad politics to do that, to be like, hey, everybody, I'm a guy who's running for office and here's what I think. And then he would get up and just hammer away at these five points. Right. And, you know, the, the, the guy that we were running against, Tim Burgess, he didn't really have to do anything. He would just kind of get up and run down the list of all the things he'd done on the city council. He was like, I'm the one that passed the law that made it safe for babies. I'm the guy that, that passed the law that made money possible. <laughs> and all John Grant could say was that he hadn't done enough for the, for renters. And all I could say is, well, yeah, maybe, but don't you really want somebody who's like groovier? And the people of Seattle were like, I'm not sure that that's what we want. Somebody that's groovy. Anyway, <laughs> I came out of the election. I came out of that whole process really disliking John Grant. He's, I, in my estimation, not a very likable person, but also like, I didn't like the way he behaved. Mm -hmm. Um, he was obviously being coached by people who had run a lot of political campaigns. Oh, interesting. And they were telling him, you got to go after John Roderick. You got to, you got to nail him. You know, you got to gotcha him. And so he started, you know, campaigning negatively against me. And I just thought it was rude. And I know that that's like a version of politics, but Tim Burgess wasn't really doing that. I wasn't doing it. I was like, both these guys are good. I just think you should pick me because I'm like super better. Right. Um, but he was, you know, he was trying to zing me. And one time he, one time in a crucial moment, he really caught me unawares. Hmm. Uh, but th also we had a couple of behind the scenes things where he would say, all right, here's in order to get Tim Burgess, here's what we should do. We should join forces. And I was like, Oh, interesting plan. And then he would step up there and totally rip me to shreds. And mm. it was like so much for your join forces plan. Anyway, I came out of it really disliking him. And like my father, who was a lifelong politician, my dad had several political grudges some of them that lasted 50 years where somebody in some democratic party caucus had voted some way on some legislation that was that my dad perceived to be against his platform. And he was like that guy, Herb leg, he's forever on my shit list. And Herb leg would send him Christmas cards. Herb, Herb leg, you know, famous in Washington politics he didn't have any grudge against my dad, but my dad was mad at Herb Lake mm. 50 years. So I was like against John Grant. I just didn't like him. I wanted him to lose. And he lost to Tim Burgess, you know, 75 to 25. He, he beat me in the primary, but he, but he ended up losing. And I was like, moo ha ha ha. <laughs> you get what you deserve, punk. But then he ran again mm -hmm. this year for the same seat. And, 
and it just burned me. I was like, I don't like this guy. I don't want him to win. I think he's, I think he's not honest and I think he'll be, you know, he's a leftist, which are my principles, but I don't think that a dishonest leftist is a better choice than somebody that's got integrity, whatever their political right. beliefs. Well, the other, and, and he, he was way, way behind in the primary. The other candidate was way ahead of him and he's been running this kind of like diligent, but losing race. The election's coming up. It's in the next couple of weeks. And two days ago, he got the endorsement of the Seattle times. Oh, and the candidate he's running against has all the unions backed up behind her. Like she had what was considered to be kind of a shoe in, but the Seattle times endorsed him. Now I'm not sure what the stranger is going to do. They might endorse him. They might endorse his opponent. They did not endorse him in the primary, but that doesn't mean they won't flip around. But I was seething. Yeah. Seething that this, because there's nobody like the Seattle times cannot elect a candidate anymore. They do not have, they endorse a candidate and people are like, hmm, because they're a very establishment newspaper. Right. And this town is very anti-establishment for the most part. Right. I mean, there's a lot of nimbyism here, but the stranger does still have the ability to endorse a candidate and just they're tens of thousands of people in this city that just vote a straight right. they'll, stranger ticket. They'll read that and say, okay, that's what I need to go do. They just go, they put their ballot out, they put the strangers' election endorsements out, and they just copy it. Mm -hmm. But I had to confront the fact that it's possible that John Grant might actually get elected to the city council. And I was like, you know, walking around just chewing on nails for a couple of days because he was a political enemy. And then I realized we share a, a political understanding. Like he, if he actually accomplishes his stated goals of making a, a effective change in Seattle's housing right. policies and situations, I hope for that. Like I think that would be a net good. Right. And so I had to kind of bitterly accept that if John Grant is elected, he won't be bad for Seattle. And that was, I mean, my dad spun in his grave mm. that I wasn't maintaining my, I wasn't like watering the pot of my political grudge. And I'm still, because I subscribed to the newspaper recently, which oh, is you're the, off. It makes sense. You're off the social media. You're going to go back to what works. It's the ultimate old man move. Like the newspaper is waiting on my front porch every morning. Right. Just like an old timer. I should, I wish there were still classifieds or I'd sit and read all the classifieds about like <laughs> used lawnmower for sale. But now that I'm uh, now that I'm reading the newspaper and um, 
and my political enemies are succeeding, I feel like more and more, Dan, I'm just going to go down in the basement and work on my train set. 